Good evening from Plug Hit Studios in Largo, Florida. I'm Scott. I'm Abram. And we are here with episode 552 of F5 Live, refreshing technology for Sunday, March 1st, 2020. This show is a proud part of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. This week, Clearview's customer list is exposed, drop mixes, gaming style is upgraded, and Firefox's browsing is more protected. Wherever you are and however you're accessing our show, whether it be on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat, our live stream platforms, livestream.com, Mixer, Twitch, Periscope, YouTube, or Facebook, through a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, or a myriad of other options, on the radio or on our website, plugitslive.com. Thank you for making us a part of your day. There are now three ways that you can do that. The first is you can join us live Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern by going to f5live.tv slash join us. There you can chat with us during the show and give your feedback on the topics as we talk about them. Or you can listen on 88.1 WMLD radio in the New York area or through their website Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern. Uh, or, of course, you can always go to our website, plughitslive.com slash subscribe. There you'll see all of our shows, including F5 Live and the Pilch Point, Plug Hits Live Presents, and a whole lot more. And uh, find all the ways that you can watch or listen from there. And, uh, Avram, how are you doing this week, buddy? Eh, decent. Decent. Um, the uh, I think we're all very worried at Tom's Hardware, and uh, I'm personally very worried about what the effects of the coronavirus are going to be on our industry. For sure. Um, obviously, everyone has personal concerns about catching it, but at this point, at least as far as we know, while we're while we're doing this show, there's not a lot of cases in the United States, and the level of danger seems to be seems to be quite low. But the level of danger to people's livelihood is very high yes because um because with because what is going on now is having a very dramatic effect on the tech industry not only the tech industry but that's where we come from sure. so we'll talk about that um you know it, there's you know a lot of products that are being delayed um you know we're a lot of times we're hearing from companies where you know in addition to the events that, you know, there's just a lot of tech events being canceled, but mm -hmm. also things where that we, we really can't talk about specifically where, you know, where maybe there were going to be press events for things mm -hmm. uh, that were canceled uh, and not just because of fear of uh, fear that people would go there and, and, and get the coronavirus, but uh, fear that fear that, not fear, but like reality that, Hey, the product products that maybe they were going to, sh to show people aren't ready yet. Yeah. Why not? Because, because coronavirus. Right. So it's having a really big impact on manufacturing. Um, even though, uh, the area where most manufacturing occurs in China, Shenzhen is not where the outbreak is, but apparently resistors, a lot of resistors come from an affected area. And resistors go into everything. Interesting. So, um, so that's having an effect. Um, so I think we can all ex we can all expect, you know, delays of product launches, 
shortage you know, that that people have been expecting perhaps shortages of things i know apple had mm -hmm. said they were going to have issues producing the iphone um so i think this is definitely going to have a negative effect and then you have people obviously it can't possibly be good for the overall economy when people are no longer traveling right uh they're not going to they're not going to events uh, i mean if it's unacceptable to have if it's dangerous to have people come to an event where there might be hundreds of other people is it then also dangerous for them to go to a shopping mall or get on a train i mean so right. you know it, it's definitely um you know definitely a concern sure uh, and obviously there's a huge human concern about people getting sick but i think there's also a big concern about you know just a huge ripple effect on the economy and on the tech industry when when everything's being canceled and things are being are being massively delayed very true interestingly though um and, and i have no idea what this says about anything but uh although microsoft has canceled events um uh one of their uh, one of their events overseas, they uh, developer event they just canceled, and um, it sounds like they might not be holding the event where they were going to. All theory, of course, but where they were going to announce uh, <laughs> the next generation Surface devices. Um, but they have said that the Surface Duo uh, is production production wise is ahead of schedule and might come out this summer. <laughs> instead of this fall i don't know what that says maybe the fact that they bought that factory from nokia in india is is helping them in some way i have no idea yeah i mean but i, I mean, mean that's that might fascinating be, right? because that, that, that might be it certainly is going to have a huge effect on manufacturing in china where mm -hmm. so much of tech stuff comes from uh and, and you know anything that's manufactured in japan although there's not a ton of manufacturing in japan uh, going on for tech industry anyway, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I think maybe, maybe the, I think as of Friday, Microsoft build was still on, mm -hmm. um, they hadn't, they hadn't canceled the, their build developer event, which is set for May. Um, also as of Friday, uh, my favorite show Computex, which is takes place in Taiwan, uh, and is like the CES, the most important tech show of the year besides CES and probably for computers more important mm -hmm. um, is still not been canceled. Uh, and that's to take place the first week of June. However, uh, and I'll just leave it at this, uh, Titra, the organization that uh, runs Computex put out a statement this week which makes me think that if they do run the show, no one's going to want to go to it because they are going to have, they want everyone there to go to wear a mask. Uh, they are going to have nurses on every floor. And it's not 100% clear whether they will be taking people's temperatures or they will just want you to take your own temperature. But their statement heavily implied that they might be taking people's temperatures to see at the, at the door, which by the way, is not, um, 
is also what happens when you go in when you get off the plane in Taiwan. They take your temperature, um, hmm. and if they don't like your temperature, uh, if they don't like your temperature, you could be quarantined. Um, but Fascinating. Um, what's really kind of messed up, messed up is, you know, we know that um, coronavirus, uh, COVID nineteen takes can take as much, many as fourteen days to to appear uh and some people will never have symptoms so you know is taking people's temperature really really going to tell you what you need to know to protect people not at all um i heard that in china they actually are doing that at some fast food restaurants or something like interesting also by the time you've gotten to the place where they're taking your temperature aren't you already sneezing on people yep uh or or whatever so i I don't know. This is a very messed up situation, but um, so we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. I think the smart money is that Computex is canceled, um, and uh, you know we'll we'll have we'll have to see. I mean, there was talk this week about the Olympics, which is in end of July, possibly being canceled. Yep. So um, uh, know, they will not. That's they will scary not make... because. They will not make a decision on it until uh, they will not announce a decision until uh, at least 90 days out. So that would be the end of April. Right. Well, they should give it. I think they should give it some time. I mean, right now, right now, I think it's a period where a lot of people are panicking and we don't know what's going to to happen. And and that not knowing is creating an additional everything. Right. Right. Exactly. But it's just easy. I think that the panic is having is having and going to continue to have a lot of effects on people because, you know, when you when you close a major event, there's a lot of people who are losing a lot of money and that those aren't just big companies that can afford to. Those are food vendors. Uh Those are hotels. Those are people who are losing money and losing work. Um, So. The anyway, the small exhibitors um, uh, look at look at uh, the game developer conference right that that isn't just attended by Microsoft Sony Activision and Epic yeah, that's uh, that's attended by right. small developers little indie guys and uh, you know with that being canceled it's been postponed we'll see what that ends up meaning. Uh, but you know, if you're an indie guy and you've put money into this thing for hotels and all the things that go with going to a trade show, that that might, you know, be out. You don't know. Depends on how you booked. So it's yeah. it's it definitely sucks for a lot of people. So uh, we'll definitely be uh, obviously we're going to be watching this um, because it doesn't just affect the stories that we tell, but it affects our lives directly. So, uh, we will definitely keep an eye on this for you guys and, uh, keep you up to date on anything that happens. But for now, let's get down to, uh, some of our news topics for the week. This week's Nifty Gifties on F5 Live is proudly powered by the Microsoft Store. 
we may have said that the uh, that the uh, Surface announcement might be delayed, but it hasn't changed the fact that all Surface devices are on sale right now, which definitely leads credence to the idea that new ones are on the way. Um, some of these deals are absolutely insane. Seven or eight hundred dollars off uh, on almost every model of the Surface Book Two. Uh, several hundred dollars on Surface laptops, and a whole lot more. But uh, there's more than just Surface devices, like the Xbox One, both S and X, uh, available right now, um, or other laptops, not just Microsoft-branded ones, and, and, and a lot more. Uh, VR and AR headsets, uh, phones, and uh, lots of other products, all available from the Microsoft Store. And uh, if you want to find out about all the deals, you can go to f5live.tv slash Microsoft. So we've talked about Clearview uh, recently, and uh, if you missed it, Clearview AI is a company that provides uh, facial recognition for law enforcement. Now, in this particular case, when we're talking about facial recognition, we're talking about uh, identity recognition. So uh, a law enforcement officer can take their phone, point it at somebody, and get a match on who they are. Obviously, lots of privacy issues and all kinds of other things there. We've talked about that in the past. This week um, was not a great week for them uh, in addition to the lawsuits and the privacy concerns and all of that. Uh, first, their customer list, which they've been very private about, probably for a couple of reasons. Um, was made public. Now, the company's lawyers have been very careful not to use the word hack, which is interesting because for me, that kind of suggests that maybe it could have come from somebody internal, uh, but not necessarily. Um, but the the data list was, was totally exposed. Um, and so now... If you have the list, you know who is using Clearview AI's technology. Couple reasons that that uh, can cause problems. If you're the law enforcement agency uh, in particular, uh, first, people in your jurisdiction know that you're using it. So you have to do, you know, you do things to, to outsmart it or avoid, and uh, you can defeat the technology. But more importantly, there are already states, New Jersey is a great example, um, one, it, it was revealed that one jurisdiction might have been using uh, Clearview, and the state banned its use statewide. Um, so, that I mean, that's a huge move, right? Um, and so, uh, in this case, you know, if you're trying to be secretive about it so your state doesn't find out, oh, the whole list is out. So I, from a um, privacy standpoint, it's probably a good thing. It's one of the reasons why the list, you know, the customer list has been asked for before. Um, and, uh, you know, now we know who's using it, right? I'd, I'd like to know um, how, how accurate it is, first, first and foremost. There's been a lot of question about that uh, because it's, the company's been very secretive about everything. 
Uh, law enforcement seems to believe that it is highly effective uh, and, and very accurate. Um, but there's been no independent studies done on it because until the New York Times article in January, nobody even knew this company existed. Um, so they were, they were the definition of a stealth startup. Uh, and they were practicing. like Their product was out in the wild and nobody knew the company existed. Uh, until the New York Times article. So there's been no independent verification. There's been no you know, testing of it um, by anybody other than the law enforcement. But law enforcement seems to think it's, it's highly accurate. Uh, I, 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 hmm. mm-hmm. I'd like to, first of all, do we know that Clearview AI is the only company that provides this type of service? No, because until six weeks ago, we didn't know they were providing it. If somebody else is providing this type of service, they are equally or possibly better stealth than Clearview was because, well, they got exposed. Right. I mean, cause I mean, don't, doesn't the TSA use, use facial recognition for airport security? Uh, they use a, a limited, facial recognition that's designed to identify certain people. Um, it does not bring up the name of everybody who walks through. It only brings oh, up, I see. it only brings up warnings when, uh, somebody on the, the watch list shows up. So it's a little uh-huh. different, but with well, Clearview, theoretically, we don't know what they're doing with the data. True. With Clearview, theoretically, uh, I can hold my phone up, to you and it will tell me Avram Pilch. And they've been doing it by scraping data off the internet, which is why the fact that their customer list was exposed is, um, wonderfully ironic. They've been, they've been scraping data from around the internet and then, Oh, their data got scraped and put on the internet. (laughs) Now, just to play devil's advocate here, doesn't Facebook do the same thing and not, Although I guess it would only know about people who are Facebook users, so there is that. But theoretically, I mean, you get tagged, you get in someone's photo, right? Like, I could be in the background on someone's photo that doesn't even know me, and I think it will identify me. Uh, depends on so, the privacy settings on your account, but it could. Oh, and you well, can certainly also Facebook's capable of doing it. Absolutely, and you can turn that off on Facebook, but that doesn't mean they're not running the scan anyway. <laughs> right. Exactly. So it doesn't sound like, I mean, now I think what is really suspicious and what should probably lead to some lawsuits is where, how are they building the database of, of photos of people by because scraping, probably exploiting by scraping names and photos off of Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter. And right. And I promise you that those, those now, I don't know if they can, if they can prevail, but I promise you those, those, those violate the terms of service for those sites. LinkedIn lost that battle, uh, at the end of last year, uh, in a federal appellate court and, uh, the Supreme court wouldn't hear the case. So as of right now, any, any data on a website that is made publicly available is publicly available as far as, as far as, uh, uh, legal precedent is concerned. <laughs> but I'm I'm sure they try to I'm sure they try to stop that. Like I, I 
Facebook. They um, probably try to look for bots, get, you know, doing that kind of work. We we know that Facebook, uh, um, through Instagram, uh, went and started. Uh, they turned off a whole feature of Instagram and required you to be logged in for another piece. We talked about that last year because there was that marketing company yeah. that was that was scanning data, and so right. uh, they started. You know, blocking users that were trying to access it too quickly, indicating data scraping and things like that. Um, so they're active about it. You know, they're not they're not afraid to to watch for bots and and turn stuff off. So uh, the other side it of this, was, of course, Clearview is paying them. Uh, Facebook has publicly called out Clearview um, for violating terms of service and. Um, has considered filing suit against them. Whether or not it would prevail, who knows, because of the LinkedIn suit, but they have uh, threatened legal action against the company. So, I don't know. Um, but, to, uh, to, to make the week a little worse for Clearview, um, so, people may not know this, but we've talked a lot about the distribution model for apps on iOS and the monopoly uh, environment of distributing apps. There are actually three ways to distribute an app to an iPhone or an iPad. Uh, the first is through the App Store. Uh, the second is through TestFlight, which is also controlled by Apple. And the third is through an enterprise uh, distribution model, which is designed for a company, um, you know, a, a large company, let's say IBM, who wants to have an in-house corporate app that only their employees use through the enterprise distribution model, they can make it available only to uh, devices within the enterprise. Uh, and that's how Clearview has been distributing this app. It's why nobody really knew about it because they were not distributing it properly. Um, now, the important thing to know about the enterprise model is that it is only distributable to people within your enterprise. So, uh, they have been violating the, the developer terms of service here. And so Apple turned off their developer account and uh, the app boop, disappeared from all uh, iPhone and iPad devices that had installed it through the enterprise model. Meaning that at this point, only Android devices could possibly run it because there's a million and a half ways to install an app onto an Android device. So, so... How does that violate the terms of service? Is it because they, is it because Clearview, let's say, I don't know, the police, New York City Police Department mm -hmm. wanted to use it. Why, why can't they have their IT department distribute the app through an enterprise license, that's through not, their own enterprise license? That's not what they were doing. So Clearview had an enterprise uh, distribution certificate. And they were claiming, they were giving that certificate to the New York Police Department, for example. Um, and so, because nobody at the New York Police Department with a device works for Clearview, for obvious reasons, um, distributing to the police department, claiming that you're a Clearview employee is a violation of the, the, the certificate rules. I, I see. But if if each individual organization that wished to use it did their sure. own 
had their own enterprise license, then they could, and then Clearview sent them the, the IPA. I don't know how you would do it. Send them the code or whatever. Send them the IPA. Um, then they could do that. Sure. Yeah. That would be that would be the next step uh, for them to have to get around this. Um, enterprise distribution license are not inexpensive, um, so that would definitely limit the the scope uh, unless it's somehow factored into the pricing model or you know I don't know. Um, but an enterprise license from Apple is not inexpensive. So uh, so for right now. Um, Apple has uh, severely limited uh, the reach of this app because apparently a lot of their customers were using it on iPhones and now are not. So uh, two big blows to the company this year, uh, this week, because obviously uh, a company that's doing law enforcement uh, data analysis, not the kind of company that should be leaking data. <laughs> and so that's going to, that's going to cause them issues with their customer base. And then not being able to use it on an iPhone is going to cause its own uh, kind of batch of, of nonsense. So um, definitely some, uh, some setbacks for the company there, which for privacy, uh, privacy watchers will be a big win, even though they weren't involved in it. So... This week's Pilch Point with Avram Pilch is proudly powered by PureVPN. Uh, if you want to hide your your browsing history from Google and Facebook and and uh, your ISP and everybody else, one of the best ways to do that is with a VPN. Uh, and right now, PureVPN has a deal. If you do a two-year uh, contract, you will get $3.33 a month, which is a really great deal because on top of you know, obfuscating your, your browsing. You also get the ability to report that you're somewhere else. Uh, so you can use services that may be region locked against you. Um, and it works everywhere, whether you want to use it on Windows or Mac, Android, iOS, Linux. Uh, tons of uh, hardware has it built in as well. Uh, and you can find, about, whoop, find out all about the service and uh, the deal that's running right now by going to pilchpoint.live slash purevpn. So, Avram, I know we've talked about this a little bit before, a couple of times, because it's one of your favorite products, but we have an anniversary this week. Yes, so... Uh, February 29th marked the eighth birthday of the Raspberry Pi, of the original Raspberry Pi, which, by the way, you could say it marked the second birthday because it's leap year. Uh, but let's just say it's eight. It's let's just say eight years, because if you were a child and you were uh, born on February 29th, 2012, you would be in in first in, um, I think, you know, first grade. So, I mean, second grade, you would not be, uh, you would not be uh, in nursery school. So, um, so anyway, um, I'm sure our uh, our repeat uh, audience is very familiar with me talking about the miracle of technology that is the Raspberry Pi, the $35 computer, or or actually available for as little as five dollars if you get the Pi Zero. 
um, that is good enough to run a robot or run a web server or even turn into uh, one of these. Oh, yes. uh, anyway, arcade machine. Um, but um, the eighth anniversary is a good uh, opportunity to reflect on some of the things that that this uh, that this groundbreaking single board computer uh, has become and, and how it started. So um, I, I put up an article this week about eight things you, you might not know about the Raspberry Pi on its eighth anniversary. Um, one is that the original target, the original reason that this was developed uh, is that uh, Evan Upton, who was the founder of Raspberry Pi and is not currently the CEO of Raspberry Pi Trading, where they make and where they make these, um, uh, was a professor at Cambridge University's computer science program, and he said that they weren't getting enough apl applicants anymore, uh, and he wanted to inspire more kids to get into computer science. So he had the idea that they would maybe build an inexpensive computer that kids could uh, could hack, you know, could play around with, hack around with. Uh, and that they'd make a thousand units. Um, but once the level of inch people saw the level of interest that there was, um, they decided they, they couldn't just make a thousand units. They were going to mass manufacture them. And now eight years later, raspberry, there have been 31 million raspberry Pis sold. Um, the, um, uh, 31 million includes uh, in 2019, the Raspberry Pi 4, the latest model came out that so far has sold 6.6 .6 million units. And two thirds of those have been the model with the four gigabytes, uh, the, the four gigabytes of RAM, uh, which is the highest end model. Um, I'm now, sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I hold on. So they intended to make a thousand devices, period. Correct. And yet, correct. This generation has sold how many? Uh, six point six million. <laughs> Th that's the current for fourth generation. Yeah. Uh, for you know, fourth generation. Uh, Slightly different. Yeah. Well, thirty-one million in, in total, and and uh, a good chunk of those are not to kids. Um, in fact, even though these are great for kids uh, to use for learning. My, you know, I set up one for my son on the TV and he's using it to, uh, to learn how to program video games using Python. Um, the, the fact, the fact is that there are half of the clients for Raspberry Pi are industrial. That means they're using them in manufacturing and, and, you know, around business in businesses where, where they really need them or putting them, building them into other products. So. Uh, you know, Raspberry Pi is a lot more than a kid's device. It's a lot more than a hobbyist's device. Um, it's, uh, and I think the real magic isn't just that it's inexpensive and low power, but I think the real magic comes from these, which are the GPIO pins. So you have 40 GPIO pins and they can be used to attach a variety of different accessories and, and, 
go into any kind of lights and motors that you want. So people use them to build robots. People use them to build all kinds of sensor arrays. People take a whole bunch of these as, uh, as we saw last year, and there were a thousand, there was a supercomputer cluster with, I think, 1,040 of these uh-huh. of, of, you know, I think those were Raspberry Pi 3Bs. But, um, you know, those are some of the things, some of the things that people have done with it. So, yes, it's a lot more than 1,000. And one of the things that Upton told me was originally they were going to just make them themselves, the folks in the Pi Foundation, because, you know, they're only going to make a few units. And then they decide, no, they can't do their own manufacturing. And that's when they went and got partners to do the manufacturing. Um, Another fact on the eighth uh, birthday is that there have been, depending on how you want to count it, at least 18 different models of Raspberry Pi uh, introduced in the last eight years. These range from the original, which was the Raspberry Pi 1B, that had a 700 megahertz single core processor and 256 megs of RAM up to the Raspberry Pi 4B, uh, which came out in 2019 and has up to four gigs of RAM and a 1.5 gigahertz quad core processor. Um, So, and what's amazing is the price on these has actually dropped uh, relative to inflation. So, 30, so thirty-five dollars got you the Raspberry, the original Raspberry Pi in twenty twelve. Today, thirty-five dollars gets you. Uh, as of this week, they actually cut the price on the two gigabyte model, the two gigabyte Raspberry Pi four B. So thirty-five dollars in twenty twelve dollars is equivalent to thirty-nine dollars and eighty cents today. So you've actually, uh, the price of it has actually shrunk by staying the same while obviously what you get for that money has gone up a great deal. Um, Now, not only will you find Raspberry Pis uh, in local electronic stores and online, but you'll find two of them on the International Space Station, uh, where they are known as Astro Pis. And through the European Space Agency, uh, students can actually participate in contests where they get to have their code uh, run in space. Now, that's cool. which is, which is, which is, oh, I'm sorry. I, I, last year, okay, I got the number wrong. Last year, the company sold 6.1 million units in total, and 2 million of them were Pi 4B. Um, and of the 2 million, two thirds were four gigabyte model. Um, now that's through, that's through the end of 2019. So, probably selling more this year. Some other things that people may not know about the Raspberry Pi is that uh, there's no power button and they probably never will be a power button because uh, the Pi Foundation believes a lot of people want to build these into systems where they put their own power switch, where they put their own power switches to it and attach it to the pins. So the traditional method of turning them on and off is to plug and unplug them. Of course, they recommend that you run shutdown in the operating system because uh, you know these run uh, any variety of operating systems, although most people use the official OS, which is called Raspbian and is a, a flavor of Linux. Um, so there's no power button. People may also not know that 
uh, all Raspberry Pis, or at least all recent ones, are overclockable, and it's built right into the operating system. So we've been able to get this up to uh, all the way up to 2.147 gigahertz uh, just by attaching a little fan um, and and upping the voltage. Uh, so there's just a ridiculous amount amount of uses as we look at what this product means today and what it you know and what it has meant over the last eight years uh and as 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 this keeps developing it keeps getting to be a better and better computer so while i still wouldn't recommend that most people use this as a their main computer um it is decent enough to watch videos to surf the web um if you have a lot of tabs open, you could, you could regret it uh, because, you know, even with four gigabytes of RAM, that's not fantastic, and you're still loading everything off of uh, the main storage on these is a micro SD card, so you know that can only be so fast. It's not exactly like uh, using an NVMe SSD in your laptop or, or desktop, um, but uh, the the influence of the product continues to grow. And as we see more revisions, uh, it ha the, the number of use cases grows. And while there have been a number of competitors or imitators, such as the orange pie and the banana pie, um, <laughs> no, nothing has really come close to uh, matching the Raspberry Pi, not only because of what it provides for the money and because of the, the fantastic build quality of them, but also because of just the really strong community that is behind them that's developing software that's answering your questions. Um, that's, you know, that's being, you know, teachers teaching things in school there. Uh, last year, they told me 250,000 kids a week uh, take part in Raspberry Pi programs, um, you know, like at school education programs around the world. So, um, you know, just, uh, obviously a lot, a lot to celebrate after eight years. Uh, this is my passion and one that my son and I do a lot with. And, uh, I definitely encourage folks to check out, uh, the Raspberry Pi, uh, eighth birthday article on tomshardware.com, but also, uh, all the links to how you get started and, and make the most, make the most of this device. And, and like you said, it's a device that you can make a lot of, <laughs> uh, we've, you know, we've yeah, talked about I everything mean, from, from, you know, uh, a web server through a, an arcade machine. That's, that's a pretty wide range of, of, uh, projects. Yeah. So at CES this year, I saw a really awesome raspberry Pi powered robot. It was named, I think it was named Ricci. Uh, and he could go, it was like a torso, you know, and two hands and he could go and like grab things and like play chess and manipulate stuff. Right. And I said, Oh, what, what board are you using to, to power this robot? Like what, how, you know, what's they're like, Oh, a raspberry Pi four. And they pulled up the little, the robots like guts were covered by like a little t-shirt they pulled up the robot shirts and there it was you know there it was 
one of these powering this really complicated robot. So, um, you know, it's just amazing. And, you know, that's a good example of an industrial client. If they mm-hmm. sell a bunch of those, uh, they're going to have to use use this to power it. Uh, granted, I think they were telling me it was like something like $12,000. So uh, <laughs> they spent $35 on this. But uh, but to, to be fair, to be fair to uh, to the company that makes it, like this is just the brain, but the really hard part is is the p- things that you attach to it, right? So you have to build human-like arms uh, with hand with fingers that can grab stuff. Right. I mean, that's really complicated uh, fabricating that. So you know, uh, the the real difficulty and the real innovation comes with you know how to physically make the things that you control with this. It's a really powerful uh, processor for the money and the power consumption, uh, but ultimately, what you attach to it is what makes it makes it really special. For sure. Well, I always love hearing about Raspberry Pi stuff and uh, the the space bit. I had no idea. So that's that's yeah, really cool. They are they're. They are Raspberry Pi ones, so that are on the ISS, um, and they run they run an annual uh, annual contest called Project Zero. I think only uh, students in the EU get to. I think only students in the EU get to participate, um, but uh, you could definitely look it up. I wonder if at some point they're going to upgrade upgrade those to newer model, but. Uh, that uh, that's that's one of the many things that Raspberry Pi does. Well, that's that's definitely a cool thing, and uh, you know, to be able to to be the person who can say my software ran on on the ISS. <laughs> that's that's a cool that's a cool brag right there. Yeah, it is very cool. Well. Uh, as always, Avram, thank you uh, for talking about this because that's that's some cool stuff right there. And I look forward to what we're talking about next. This week's Extra Life and F5 Live is proudly powered by Razer. All the accessories you need to up your game on both PC and console are available from Razer. Whether you're looking for a new uh, mouse like we use here in the studio or keyboard, um, or you're looking for a full system uh, like the Razer Blade uh, laptops, uh, Razer's got them all. And uh, they have introduced uh, what they're calling uh, Razer Silver, which is a rewards program for uh, people who are big fans of the Razer products like we are uh, with your purchases you get you get points and then you can get uh, uh, cool gear from there uh, and to find out about the new Razer Silver and all the products that are available you can go to f5live.tv slash Razer now we don't usually talk about game announcements but uh, 
This week, an interesting game announcement happened. Uh, it's interesting for me for a number of reasons, uh, which we'll talk about in a minute. But first, let's talk about the game. The game is called Fuser. It is from Harmonix, uh, who we've talked about a couple of times over the last couple of years. Uh, for Christmas 2018, one of their games was uh, one of our uh, gift suggestions. Uh, and that was called Drop Mix. Drop Mix is a cool game. It's still available. Uh, in fact, it is super inexpensive right now. Uh, 29 bucks. Can't, can't beat it. But anyway, um, Drop Mix allows you to be a DJ and with special, essentially, trading cards that had NFC chips in them. You'd put them down on a platform and... You know, pull the the vocals from this song and the the keyboard from another and the the drums from another and be able to play uh, music uh, right there uh, in the game, which is really cool. We bring it to every game night and and party that we have. In fact, we've bought probably a dozen of them for friends and family as well. But of course, having to have special hardware and the the you know trading cards are obviously a perishable commodity because any card you've ever had that you've handled a lot, you know, gets weird uh, and starts to fall apart. And that's, you know, it's not anything special to this. You know, Pokemon cards do it too. And it's just, it is what it is, <laughs> right? And nothing uh. has nothing has changed in, in decades. Trading cards, game cards get weird. Uh, anybody who's ever played Magic knows that. Anyway... So, Fuser is Mixer without those limitations. It's a really cool-looking game. Uh, you get to be a DJ. Um, it's played on console or PC. It's not out yet. It will be played on console or PC. Um, and basically, you're headlining a, a music festival as a DJ. And it looks like a tremendous amount of fun Um I'm super excited about it. But the thing that I find interesting here is over the last two and a half years, Harmonix, who we all know from rock band and things like that from the past, um, seems to have really flexed on rhythm games again, right? Because Drop Mix for holiday 2018, um, and then we've got, um, what was it called? Uh, Twitch Sings, which was a partnership between Harmonix and Twitch for, uh, for a karaoke game that we talked about uh, probably a year ago. So that would have been their 2019 game. 2020, they're releasing another console game. A genre that I think most of us thought had gone back to being super niche. Harmonic seems to think has another life in it. What do you think, Avram? I think this these are good party games. For sure. Like music game music games are good party games. So if you're socializing with other people, um, I think I think they're they're a really good genre genre of game and you know, depending on whether any of the songs are uh, I mean, I don't know if there's a way to sort of exclude songs with explicit lyrics from from the game or, or whatever, but you know, Rock Band is like a really Rock Band or any of those music console games are usually really good games to play with kids. Mm -hmm. 
particularly if you have a mixed a family thing with kids and adults sure because you know a, a lot of the sort of top video games that people have are not um first of all they're not very social right i True. mean most most console games are made for for one player unless it's a couple of games that like lego games that have a two-player mode or whatever sure. um like but a, like an on-screen games are really good yeah yeah but music games are really good for you know playing for the whole family mm -hmm. they're not you know too adult usually not too adult for kids not too childish for adults so um so yeah i i look forward to this i think it's good to have uh to have more options for things that people can play as a family or play with their kids uh and and who doesn't who doesn't love music sure and so now now of course the question is is it music that your kids will know if not then maybe they won't enjoy it as much but um i i saw on the announcement list um i can i can pull it up again but uh on the announcement list was uh a name that i know i probably should have known more than like two weeks ago but billy eilish which is a pretty popular name um let's see i'm trying to get a screenshot that's got some of the songs on it um so so you've got uh billy eilish lady gaga and uh Lizzo and Post Malone, which are all pretty, pretty modern, right? And then you've got Blue Oyster Cult. <laughs> so, I mean, you've got... yeah, I'll probably be the one listening to the Blue Oyster. Actually, for my son, probably my seven-year-old probably would prefer the Blue Oyster Cult um, to to any of those bands, but because um, that's we raise him on the classics. Uh -huh. um, but. Uh, you know, yeah. So I think there's, I think there's a lot. You know, a lot of depending on what music is is in it. I think there's, there's something for everyone. And they intend to play music games. They said they intend to launch with a uh, hundred tracks, um, which I think is a good start. Um, uh, drop mix uh, shipped with uh, sixty cards in it, well, which isn't sixty songs. It's not sixty tracks. It's just sixty. Uh, pieces of songs um, so you know launching with a hundred full tracks uh, they get broken up the same way that drop mix did to to uh, drums guitar vocals um, keyboard uh, I think is a great uh, a great starting point and then like any harmonics game we know there will be additional packs in the future because that's <laughs> that's how these games work um, the only thing that I think is going to bother me about the game is that they've changed the colors on some of the, uh, <laughs> some of the things like the, the vocals is red instead of yellow. So anybody who's played drop mix, it's going to bother you a little bit, I think. But, um, it's, and the thing that I like is just like drop mix, it's not just, you know, put music together. You know, the, the freestyle mode is cool. Don't get me wrong. I love the freestyle mode on Drop Mix, um, but there's also challenge modes in it, uh, like uh, audience request, which is similar to a to a feature from Drop Mix, where 
it tells you to do this or do that, you know, find a, find a mid, what I really like is, uh, find a mid nineties vocal track <laughs> is one of the, the audience things. So, uh, you got to know more about the music this time than you did in the last. So I'm really looking forward to this. And I like the idea that, that music games are starting to, uh, to see a, a resurgence again. Uh, and not just because, uh, we own a website about music games. That's <laughs> a big bonus, but it's not the only reason, uh, I have always enjoyed them. It's the reason why we created the site in the first place. So I'm, I'm super excited to see, uh, see the game come out and, uh, knowing, knowing somebody from our original team was, uh, involved in it for a little while makes it even better. So, uh, definitely looking forward to it. And, uh, once it's out, I guarantee we will do a review on it because super excited. This week's news from the tubes and F5 Live is proudly powered by Rift Tracks. Make fun of movies or let these guys do it for you. Mike Nelson, Bill Corbett, and Kevin Murphy, the former stars of Mystery Science Theater 3000, are back and doing what they do best, creating commentaries for Hollywood blockbusters and B-movie oddities like Velvet Smooth. The way it works is for a couple of dollars, you download the MP3, play it along with your DVD, Amazon, Netflix, Hulu, wherever that movie happens to exist, and laugh. Oh my goodness. Um, they also do live events. Uh, they've got a couple coming up this year, which I'm very excited about. Uh, and the old ones also tend to find their way onto the site, and uh, you can watch them uh, without having to purchase the movie as well, which is great. Uh, and to find out about all of the movies, all of the short films, all of the live events, you can go to f5live.tv slash tracks with an X. So before we get into this real quick, I will say, Avram, it is your fault. I have watched like nine Rift Tracks this week because we were talking about <laughs> platforms that offered them for streaming. And so I have kind of lived on Rift Tracks this week, so... <laughs> Uh, sorry Birdemic uh, and Monos sorry, no, sorry. Birdemic and Monos my two favorites I watch the live ones for which is always fun anyway so um, we talk about, a lot about privacy a lot of a lot about internet security uh, on the show and um, this week uh, Firefox has turned on a setting in their browser that will increase your personal privacy uh, when using the browser immensely. Here's how the internet works if you don't know. When you go to your browser and you type in www.plugkidslive.com and hit enter, uh, those letters don't mean anything. So it goes to a server and says, uh, what does plugkidslive.com mean? The server returns uh, an IP address, which you would never know, uh, and then is able to request data uh, from the server. Most of the internet over the last couple of years has started to go to HTTPS, partially because Google has uh, has uh, decreased page rank for sites that don't use HTTPS, um, and partially because uh, when you have a secure site, um, 
middleman can't uh, track what's happening in the middle. So the data that's transferred between the sites is encrypted. Uh, so between the site and your computer, uh, anybody in the middle gets uh, nothing. And so if you're trying to protect your privacy, that's a good start. However, the uh, process of going to that domain name server, the DNS, uh, is still in the clear, though there is a protocol called DNS over HTTPS. And what Firefox has done is turned that on by default. Um, it is going to roll out over the next couple of weeks uh, to Firefox users uh, in in kind of a staged rollout so, so that they don't, it doesn't turn out that there's a problem or something. Um, so it's going to be a staged rollout. It'll take a couple of weeks for everybody to get it, but it does mean that your ISP will not be able to even track the DNS requests uh, from your computer to a DNS server because they will also be going over HTTPS, uh, making most of your browsing history, at least from your ISP's standpoint, uh, private. Once it gets to your computer, there's still cookies. There's still all the things that that are normal that uh, allow Facebook and Google and whoever to uh, to track your behavior. But the actual data transfers between uh, between machines on Firefox, at least, are are going to be encrypted going forward. Uh, Chrome has been kind of alpha testing. I would say they call it a beta test, but I don't think it's that far along. Uh, they've been testing. Uh, the same thing. Uh, their process is a little different than Firefox's. Uh, and then Microsoft has been working on it, but they haven't said where they are in the process. So uh, hopefully we'll see it come to all the major browsers. But uh, Firefox is definitely first to bring it out to U.S. residents. Uh, they will not be turning it on by default outside of the U.S., though it is still in your settings, so you can turn it on yourself. So... Why wouldn't you want it? Yes. True. I mean, totally agreed. Um, but I have a feeling that because because Firefox is working with a particular with with one provider uh, in this in this case it's uh, Cloudflare. Uh, they're working with one provider right now. Uh, they don't want the wrath of the EU coming down on them. So they're not so going to turn it on by default. Here's my question: who's who's paying for it? Who's paying Cloudflare? Must be must be Mozilla. I mean, where are they getting the money? No idea. I, I, I guess. It's, I mean, I guess we shouldn't look a gift DNS in the mouth, but <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's just you know, like that seems like a service somebody would would have to pay for, right? Uh, I mean. Uh, of course, the other way to do this, if you're an end user and not have to worry about your browser, uh, what browser you're using is would be to use VPN, right? Right. If you have a VPN service, uh, granted, the VPN service themselves could see your DNS, but I think most of them are, you know, make pretty good promises about not, not storing that data. So, so I mean that. If you use VPN, uh, then nothing that gets sent uh, from your computer out to the internet is visible to your ISP. Right. Which is now great. <laughs> now, here, here's my question, though: Why, 
why do we, I mean, not just to play devil's advocate for a second, uh-huh. why do we care uh, that much about, worry that much about our ISP seeing our browser history? I mean, we certainly don't want people in the middle to be able to get things like our passwords and and stuff like that. But sure. I mean, which is someone at your ISP actively looking at it and what would they do with it? So uh, one of the biggest concerns um, when uh, the FCC uh, abandoned their net neutrality regulations uh, was that the ISPs can sell that data um, for any number of reasons. Who knows what reasons those might be. But for me, it's not about the ISPs. The ISPs are the ones who are upset about it. But for me, it's not about the ISPs. Um, there's been, over the last couple of years, there's been a number of incidents where uh, man-in-the-middle attacks have happened on uh, on the DNS side um, and have been able to capture and reroute uh, certain domains. And with this, uh, they can't capture and therefore can't redirect. So it it eliminates the issue of uh, man in the middle attacks on on DNS, which which is important. You know, if you're on a more than like if you're on a on your home ISP, if you're on a public ISP, you know, you're on a Starbucks or a McDonald's Wi-Fi, for example. Um, you know, who knows what might or might not be going on in that router? Um, if somebody has hacked into it, if something has happened and particular things are being rerouted with this at no point are you going through a traditional DNS structure and uh, a man in the middle attack can't happen. So for me, that's where the, the real benefit here is. Yeah. I mean, it, that may, that makes sense. I mean, I think we all want enhanced privacy. So, and to make sure that we have better security. So mm-hmm. it seems like, Seems like in a few months this will be a non, a non-issue, and they'll and all three major browsers. Well, I guess you didn't mention Safari, but I'm going to guess Apple will probably do it also. You, you never know what's going on there. They don't talk about what they're working on in Safari ever, so they might right. they might not. There's no telling. But here's the thing: uh, if you're interested in this feature and you're not using Firefox, which based on internet statistics, you're not. Um, if you want to use the feature, uh, and apparently this is how it works as an answer to your question, Avram, um, the, the, um, the DNS server 1111, which at one point was, I believe, under Google's control, seems to be under Cloudflare's control now, um, and it is uh, DNS over HTTPS by default. Now, so if you want to go and change your DNS settings on your computer or your router, uh, if you're if you're up for that, <laughs> and you use one dot one dot one dot one as your as your DNS, uh, then you will be using DNS over HTTPS. Now, uh, Cloudflare has a um, has a document on their website about how to do it. So, if you're not if you're not using Firefox, I think the last statistic I saw was 19% are. So 
statistically you're not. Um, Cloudflare can still take care of you. And um, just so that you know, Mozilla has said that they are open to other partners uh, in addition to Cloudflare, but they have rules. And uh, if, if the DNS uh, follows all of those rules, they will be implemented in as an option uh, in the future so that they're not creating that same monopoly, right? Where now Cloudflare is, is in charge of everything. And if, if people start getting weary about Cloudflare, they don't have another option. Uh, so Mozilla is working to, to eliminate that concern as well. So it's nice to see that a browser is out there, you know, looking for, for ways to, uh, to take care of its users. This week's DRM not included on F5 Live is proudly powered by Amazon Prime. You know you get free shipping, but you may not know you get free music with Amazon Prime Music. You get free videos, TV, movies, documentaries with Amazon Prime Video. And you also get free video games with Twitch Prime. Plus, you get one free subscription every month to uh, financially support the content creator of your choice. You can use it to subscribe to Plug Hits Live or anybody else on Twitch and uh, help them out financially. Uh, and we've got quick links because I cannot always find these, these features. We've created a page with some quick links to these and other features that are all part of your subscription. And if you're not already a Prime subscriber, we've got a 30-day free trial so you can find out if it's for you. And all of that is available by going to f5live.tv slash prime. So we've talked about this a little bit marginally uh, in the background of other stories. Uh, PragerU uh, filed suit against YouTube and obviously Google in 2017 over its uh, content policies, claiming that... uh, YouTube has a tendency to uh, use its content policies against uh, content creators that disagree with uh, Google's general political stance on topics uh, differently than other content creators. Obviously, they have um, have some public backing on that. There's been this. This has been, um, you know, a a going topic for. A number of years now, but you know, Google has uh, demonetized whole categories of of videos. If you have a tag that mentions the word "gun," for example, uh, your video cannot be monetized. If you, we we use a tool for YouTube that um, gives us monetization warnings when we use certain tags, um, and there are. There have been tags that are related to CES that they're like, ah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. Um, and, you know. Like what? Could you have some examples? You know, I can't remember the last one that I got, but it was, it was weird. It was a word that had a, had double meaning. Um, I wish I could remember what it was. I've got it written down somewhere, but. I've I've skipped relevant tags because because TubeBuddy is gone. Uh, I wouldn't. Uh, and 
and only because of one of its meanings, not the other, but you know, YouTube doesn't discriminate. Once it dislikes a word, it dislikes a word. Um, this invariant of, of context. Um, and so, so PragerU brought a, a suit against YouTube uh, claiming that because the company uh, has in front of Congress uh, called themselves a, a, um, a public, what do they call themselves? Uh, I hope I didn't just, a public forum for free speech um, that by shutting down um, free speech, that they were, um, by making the claim in front of Congress, they were therefore acting as a, uh, as a public arm. And by shutting down their free speech, they were, they were, um, to be held up as, uh, as government censorship, as a public actor and, uh, a court, uh, shot them down this week. It was the second, second in a row. Uh, the first court, uh, single judge threw the case out. They appealed and an appellate court with a panel of three judges unanimously said that the argument doesn't hold up. Um, and they pointed to a Supreme court case that was similar ish, uh, that said that just because, uh, you are a place where people can post, Free speech doesn't make you a public actor. Um, there's there's other cases that suggest that that's not exactly the case. You know, uh, uh, a quad at a at a private university uh, is considered a public a, a public actor, and so a university a private university can't shut down speech on a public in a in a quad by somebody from the school or something like that. There's, you know, there's been other cases that have gone the other way, but the most recent comes from the Supreme court. And, uh, it was similar enough that, uh, they dismissed the case. Uh, I suspect that PragerU will, will appeal this one more time, but I can't imagine that the Supreme court is going to hear it. But more importantly, it has brought, um, legal attention to a concern that many YouTubers on all sides of of the conversation have have complained about, and that has been the the um, inconsistent application of content policies. We've talked about it a lot over the last couple of years. Um, we've, I think, I think I went and I looked, and we've had over the last three years, we've had sixteen topics uh, addressing inconsistent content guidelines on YouTube. Um, and so it, you know, it's, it's a known issue and, uh, this brought some more public spotlight to it, which I think is important. What do you think, Abram? Yeah, well, I can't help but feel a little bit of empathy, uh, for the, for YouTube, mm -hmm. uh, in these, uh, YouTube and Facebook and Twitter are really all caught if you think of them all as social networks, as I know YouTube also you could say as a, as a publishing platform, but if you think of them, they, I know how these companies are, are largely thinking. They actually don't want to be political. What they want to be seen as is apolitical. Uh, so, but 
I think they also have to worry about sponsors. Mm -hmm. So they demonetize stuff, not necessarily because they want to punish um, the, um, I mean, maybe sometimes because they want to punish the, the, the person who posted it, but sometimes because it's such a hot, um, hot potato mm -hmm. that they're going to get, as we've talked about previously, advertisers don't want don't want to be associated with don't want their ads trafficked on something that is a hot potato for sure and you, you know it can be really hard to uh, you know when you buy ads on on a platform like facebook or twitter or youtube you're not generally buying them on a particular channel you're not saying like i want my ads to appear on on the f5 live channel and right. i want it to appear on the tom's hardware channel and I want it to appear on this one and that one. You're saying I want my content to appear either on stuff that has these keywords or stuff or just general run of site. Um, and so what you don't want if your YouTube is meant is client is your actual clients who are paying you the advertisers coming and saying, I can't believe you put my content on this stuff that I'm complaints from the public because it's controversial uh so you know they're they're just trying maybe to sell ads against this content isn't hampered mm -hmm. and they and while we the public generally treats social networks as as if they're a public utility they are not if we really want uh, unlimited free speech uh, on the on a platform that has unlimited free speech, then it would have to be a public platform. Not these are all private platforms yep. with their own sets of rules that allow anyone to register and post content for free, and generally, generally allow a lot of different viewpoints even viewpoints that are against the company i mean how many people are tweeting on twitter about how much they don't like twitter right or, or don't like see of twitters or how many times have we posted episodes on youtube talking about the inconsistent about policies YouTube. of youtube <laughs> this will be there so you know so i think I think overall they want to allow people to they want they don't want to be in the business of banning things mm -hmm. but when they demonetize something or they flag it as adult as like mature content they're trying to stay out of trouble now I I get it that if it's your video and you have and you want to get your your um, message out there you don't want a, you want to make money sure. through the monetization. And B, you want every as many people as possible to be able to see your message. But the company that is providing the platform, uh, they have an interest, Absolutely. Uh, which is the which is the controlling interest, which and their interest. I, I really don't believe that their interest, I mean, people can feel 
the opposite, but I really don't believe that they have an interest in really espousing a particular political viewpoint by censoring another viewpoint. I think that they are purely about the money. Yeah. And, uh, and, and for sure. And, and, and it's one of the, as I mean, a, some people would like them to be a little <laughs> bit more proactive about censoring. Believe me. Indeed. And, and you know, if you, if you need a litmus test on that, uh, let's take a look at the comp, the, the conversation about Facebook and Mike Bloomberg and the, the paid influencer posts on, uh, on Facebook and Instagram and the fact that uh, Facebook's not classifying those as political ads because they're not coming from the politician or from a registered pack. Right. I mean, a lot of what, uh, I mean, we, that's a maybe different topic, but like Facebook is doing a lot of things that would not be allowed. I don't think would meet the standards and practices of network television. Like I, I don't think you can run an ad on network television that is demonstrably, I don't think they would mostly accept ads that were demonstrably false. Um, There's actually and, an interesting episode Facebook, of Boston well, legal about exactly that topic. And the fact that um, the courts have have said that there is no no responsibility on the uh, network's part to uh, to say no to an ad, even if the the information is knowably false. Now, whether or not well, whether or not certainly. they will is a whole different topic. <laughs> right. um, but they have no legal uh, requirement to do so. Um, because, uh, to, there's a law against censorship of political speech. Um, and because the airwaves are provided free of service to the broadcasters, they fall under public actor, uh, which does bring it back to this topic. Right. Um, they fall as a public actor because the airwaves are a public utility. Uh, and so, uh, they cannot censor, uh, political speech fascinating topic but a cable but cable cut but cable could absolutely yeah. um yep. cable can so <laughs> anyway fascinating I, I mean I, topic. I know it's it's it sounds bad to say that that you know youtube is is censoring something but i think when you look at when they're real they're really saying is they're demonetizing something sometimes they're they're doing it because they want they don't want to get in trouble with their advertisers. Yep. And that's why when I do, when I do media uh, <laughs> consults for people, I tell them don't make YouTube or Facebook your primary source uses a funnel to your environment because I always use it. I don't like him, but we'll use it. Alex Jones is a great example. His content came down over, over content. <laughs> um, but he was, he wasn't taking advantage of his own website. He was taking advantage of YouTube. When YouTube said get off the platform, whoop, everybody went away. What do, what do we say on the show? Follow us on the social media platforms, but subscribe on plugitslive.com. Because, right. Well, I mean, the other thing is that you know, if you're trying to monetize your content, 
YouTube is selling the ads and YouTube is taking a larger, largest cut of the profit. Sure. So, but at the same time, these platforms are kind of invaluable. It's much harder to get somebody to go to, to view something that's hosted on your sure. view video. Let's say it's hosted on your website than it is to, to get people on YouTube. So very true. It's a great, it's um, definitely a great sourcing so platform because it's, it's the YouTube is the, the, what the third largest search engine by volume or something like that. So it, it's a great way for people to find you, but if you can figure out how to, how to keep them find you here, watch you there. That's, <laughs> that's always your best case scenario. <laughs> um, which is why we do video through RSS. So you can subscribe on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts and all that stuff too. So, because they don't have control over those. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that is our show. Thank you to those of you who joined us live. We always appreciate that. If you didn't and would like to in the future, Sunday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, you can go to f5live.tv slash join us. See, to follow our conversation, you could also go to mixer slash live or twitch.tv slash live. But f5live.tv slash join us will take you there as well. And you can chat with us in the studio. Um, give us your, t your feedback on the topics. Uh, you can always go to plugitslive.com slash subscribe and see all the ways that you can subscribe to all the shows, uh, whether it be on social media or YouTube or uh, through your podcatcher. Uh, and so I guess with that, on behalf of the staff that's not here, I'm Scott. I'm Abram. And we will see you guys back next time. Ciao.